0: It's my delight to present to you today Dr. Daniel Blash, who is the founder, or the founding pastor of Fresh Anointing United Pentecostal Church in St. Louis, Missouri. Dr. Blash holds a Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology, a Master's in Counseling, and a Doctorate of Philosophy in Marriage and Family Therapy. He is a licensed professional counselor, National Board Certified Counselor, and an approved clinical supervisor. Dr. Blash founded and maintains a private counseling practice, Blash Counseling Associates. He is the dean, our assistant dean, of cultural awareness and staff diversity and an assistant professor of psychiatry at Washington University's School of Medicine. He speaks nationally and internationally on the topics of marriage and family as well as leadership and counseling. Dr. Blash and his wife have been married for 29 years and have five adult children. He enjoys writing, golfing, cooking, and people. It's a delight to present to you today Dr. Blash, who's going to be talking to us this afternoon from the subject of the role of Christian counseling in the 21st century church. Welcome. Welcome.
1: Well, let me echo what other people have already said. It's a privilege to be here, and um, I love the forum um, and appreciate those who have thought this through and who are responsible for it. Um, it gives us a place to share ideas, information, inspiration, um, and that's all very good. So, thanks to those who are responsible and. Uh, For those in the audience, I've only had a little chance to mingle, but um, just very curious people who um, are here to learn. I'm so glad you're here and that this is of interest to you because you make um, our movement better and you make your churches better by being here. Um, Advanced degrees means that you spent a long time studying a particular thing. Um, and you can continue to study for as long as you like. If you study long enough, eventually the, the earning will be a doctoral degree um, in which, at that point, you just study more and more and more. You know a whole lot about a very small area of study. I'll see if I can help that up here. Um, but it, it forms... It's my magnetic personality. There you go. It's forms like this that engender conversation, um, in-depth discussion, growth, and sometimes even civil debate. If you've ever picked up journals and followed a particular topic, it is not unusual for there to be multiple opinions and sometimes there's sharp uh, disagreements, but they're all contributing towards hopefully some end. Um, I welcome all of the growth and all of the thought and even civil uh, debate or discussion around the issues that I'm going to present today. Uh, My paper, which you have in front of you, does two things. It discusses the origins of secular counseling and contrasts those with biblical counseling. Number two, it introduces a new paradigm or at least it attempts to introduce a new paradigm for your consideration. My presentation, which will be on the screen, uh, is designed to run parallel to the paper without necessarily reproducing the content exactly, um, but to use case studies to help illustrate or highlight some of what I talked about in the paper. Um, and so that's going to be exciting. I've got help in the back, and they will just flip through the screens with me, and they are doing um, a great job already. So next screen, please. So I thought I would start by talking about academia because ultimately uh, the paper looks at secular counseling, which is taught um, in the academic arenas, and then Bible counseling or biblical counseling. I prefer the word spirit-led Um, counseling. And so secular academia asks questions that it can't answer. Um, And it's okay with that. It's not bothered because for secular education, asking the question is enough. Um, That's the end. And maybe asking a better question or a deeper question, that's the end objective. However, academia, when it's encased with when it's spirit led, it's encased in a spiritual framework. Doesn't doesn't really seek to understand some elusive truth. It seeks to further explore a forever settled truth. Um, with that's ultimately then it's centered on helping us in our evangelistic uh, work. We want to not just know. We want to know Him more, and so our pursuit is very very different. Saying it plain knowing stuff is not the end, knowing him is. So even in a symposium like this where you're getting information presented on a mostly um, academic level, there are still, there's an opportunity to know him more in it. Um, And I've already discerned that it doesn't take much before you slip into another mode here. Um, I've never been in a symposium where someone said, let's pray, and instantly folks were praying in tongues. Um, It's because our tendency and our leaning is to know him more, um, and that's what it's about. So thanks again for letting me come here, and I think meetings like this help us toward our mission, uh, which is the mission of Christ. Um, Here's the plan on the next slide. What I want to do. Um, I want to follow these three rules of public speaking. Don't be boring, don't belittle, and don't belabor. Um, If I can get two out of the three, I will feel successful, so I'll try not to belabor. That's the one I'm questioning, uh, the belabor one. I'll try my best not to do that, but um, the challenge of asking people who study a particular topic to talk about it is it's their baby, and they know it inside and out. They don't want to stop talking. Um, Additionally, I want to do three things which will parallel. They will uh, correspond with my paper. I want to answer three three, uh, key questions germane to biblical counseling in the 21st century. I want to explore three case studies to uh, illustrate and engage, and then I want to provide some basic thoughts or guidance concerning how we move forward as people helpers. I use the word people helpers because not everyone Um, has the title of counselor but many of us would call ourselves people helpers this scripture that i want to read in the next slide um, is one of many in the bible that i would consider a foundational piece of um, thinking about how to help people the proverbs this is by the way proverbs 1 1 through 3 it's the amplified bible classic edition Um, the proverbs truths obscurely expressed maxims and parables. Of Solomon's son David, king of Israel, that people may may know skillful and godly wisdom and instructions, discern and comprehend the words of understanding and insight, receive instruction in wise dealing and the discipline of wise thoughtfulness, righteousness, justice, and integrity um so much in there but if there was one scripture and one version of the bible um that i think really expressed the heart the guts of counseling it might be that one um the next slide i thought it was important and this is all to preface what i really want to say is to say that counseling in itself is not an end it's a means to an end um my personal bias, which shows up in every person's writing, um, is that counseling by itself uh, doesn't hold a great deal of value. It's, not, it's, a, it's a vehicle. And the vehicle is not important if you're going the wrong place. What's, the value is where we're going. And so the process is this, in my mind. It's taking people who are stuck in some problem of life and helping them to become unstuck by looking at the barriers and then helping them to skillfully navigate the barriers that separate them from God, ultimately moving toward the foot of the cross where solutions are found. And so there's a point in which the helper or the counselor engages the person And does the work of counseling. And there's a point at which you stand back and you recognize you're on holy ground. Your work is done. There is a wonderful counselor and he's not you. You're not him. Right? And and so a part of what I want to talk about and the way I want to conceptualize counseling or spirit-led counseling is the understanding of the relationship between God and the person helping. And the reverence of knowing What you can do, what you can learn to do through formal education, what you can discern through the Spirit, and then what you cannot do. And try to help you understand that. So, it's not faith in you, it's faith in God. If you're taking notes, you're going to write this down. Counseling, in my mind, is a bridge from where you are to the foot of the cross. It's nothing more and it's nothing less. Those who have spent time have developed a skill set to better help you get from one place to the other. And that brings us then to um, the next slide which deals with fundamental questions. I believe there might be three of them or at least those are the three that my paper explores. Um, And these questions are, again, that's not exhaustive, but it's a starting place. Number one, is there a need for counseling or counselors within the church? And uh, mostly I'm referring to the apostolic church, but the church at large. Let's answer that question together. Number two, what might be an acceptable model of counseling and what might that model look like? Um, And then three, what, if any, is the role of the counselor? What is that people helper? What is that person to do? And what are their interactions to be? Um, So the next slide, I want you to participate with me. I won't ask you to say anything out loud, but if you're taking notes, please just jot down a couple of things. Um, Think about the last, oh, five or six or eight or nine problems that you've had to deal with that included other people. Not your own problems, but problems that you've had to address that involved another person. And just write those down, just really, really briefly, uh, maybe two or three or four of them. Problems that you've had to address um, with a sibling, a saint, um, a co-worker, whatever it might be. As you're doing that, the question is is there a need for biblical counseling Um, the answer is it depends Um, it depends that might be a strange answer coming from someone that does this work but it depends like everything else um, the problem and the solution must fit together so the answer is only valid if it fits or addresses the problem or the question so let's go back to what I asked you there's a good chance that whatever you wrote might fit into one of these six categories. The problems of life, what are they? Um, Again, not an exhaustive list, but this would be maybe the top um, six of the top 10 or 20. Physical health problems, um, emotional health problems, mental health problems. I will delineate those in just a bit. Um, To delineate simply means to divide out Um, And I'm only saying that not to insult you, but I've heard a few terms that I thought, what what does that mean again? And so that's one of them. It means to divide out or to separate for a particular purpose. Um, And so the way I would delineate emotional health, that would be, think of emotions, moods, depression, anxiety. Mental health, think a little deeper. Someone's schema, that's very, very altered. Um, Maybe they think that um, the, the person on the radio uh, is really, you know, in love with them and talking to them. Uh, maybe they feel like they're hearing voices and, and those sorts of things. That's mental. It could be around family relationships, financial health, issues around romance. And so, again, is there a need for biblical counseling? For counseling, the answer is it depends. Really? That's your answer, Doc? Yep. That's my answer. The solution must fit the problem. The example I've given here is if you have a stiff knee, you need physical therapy, not prayer. Now, you're probably going, wait a second. God can heal my stiff knee. Of course he can. So will physical therapy. (laughs) You may want prayer, but you can take care of that yourself. If you are too heavy, you need a better eating plan, not someone to lay hands on you. What am I getting at? <laughs> Okay, I will concede that maybe you need both. Um, <laughs> what am I getting at? The answer is yes, we need biblical counseling the answer is yes we need spirit-led counseling however it's important that we don't use the supernatural to perpetuate laziness because in the long run that's not profitable in other words don't pray for God to do something that God told you to do so With that being said, there are a whole lot of things that counseling may address that it has no business addressing. Um, It really is not a spiritual problem. So spirit-led counseling fits best with a spiritual problem. Um, And so the answer is yes, but. The next slide is just a collage um, of issues that are uh, mental health issues. I only want to say one thing about this slide, or maybe two, and that is the mental health of America is not getting better. Um, I I cannot speak to the world at large because I've not studied um, that particular phenomenon, but in the United States of America, it's getting worse, and um, there are many, many reasons for that. You are reaching, most of us, we are reaching into that population that's getting worse. Um, I can tell you that I've, I've had many pastors who are in their 60s and beyond. They're very, very seasoned people who could tell me pretty much anything I needed to know about my problems because they've been around so long. However, they, what they've said to me is, Brother Blash, I am seeing things that I've never seen before. I don't even know what to do with this. Um, so they're recognizing, those folks are recognizing that the world is changing And it's not getting better, and that's who's coming into this beautiful thing we call the church. Uh, We've got to find a way to to address those folks, to love those folks, and to deal with the challenges that come in the door. So specifically, mental health in America, this is the next slide. Um, This is a report from Mental Health America's 2017 interview report, painting a bleak picture of the state of mental health in America. The report noted that one in five adults have a mental health condition. That's over 40 million Americans, more than the population of New York and Florida combined. Rates of youth depression increased from 8.5% in 2011 to 11.1% in 2014. In the states with the lowest workforce, There is only one mental health professional per 1,000 individuals, and this includes the entire gamut of mental health professionals, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, counselors, psychiatric nurses, and so on. Um, So guess who folks might turn to for help? Uh, Yes, so that's going to be you, the church. In my paper, the very early parts of the paper, I began to discuss the history of counseling and how it came about. We have almost a reversal effect happening now. I discussed things such as the family unit being very tight-knit. Everyone lives next to their relatives, and then how, um, through the Industrial Revolution and other uh, occurrences of commerce, people began to spread throughout, and they were further and further from their sources of support. Um, Now, for other reasons, people are further and further from sources of support. There just aren't enough secular mental health or uh, Holy Ghost-filled ones, mental health um, practitioners to go around. And so the church will be the natural recipient of many, many of the issues that were in that mosaic I put before you. Um, The next slide I want to give you what is not only... Um, a toolkit or ways to cons- we've conceptualized these terms, and I'll talk about that. But this is also the order in which helpers uh, should go about helping. Now, because this is being recorded, and because the next slide, which I'm not ready for yet, will go into case studies. Um, as you're looking over this list, let me just tell you this about the case studies that are coming up very, very shortly. Uh, the case studies are real. People have given me permission to use these case studies and or they've already passed away. Um, however, these case studies might resemble uh, your story or people you've worked with. And, and, and because of that, that may have an emotional impact on you. I'm not so much concerned about the people in this room uh, because I can see you. concerned about those who might be listening and hearing these stories and going oh my goodness that's me um, and not knowing what to do if you're in that position you should seek help and it's okay to seek help from your local church or seek professional help Um, I think a a good local church will forward you to someone else if the problem is too big so I want to say that all right here we go this is the list um, on my left and my right and I also think of this as the order and help. So guidance. What is guidance? Guidance is simply helping toward a goal. Um, the, the word is encouragement almost. Um, and so it's very uh, low key. Guidance does not take a lot of time or effort. And typically those who are being guided have things together. And you're just there to keep them within the boundaries of what they've already considered a good pathway. From from guidance, um, coaching would be the next thing. So if someone is approaching me with a problem, I'm going to start with guidance and move through coaching. I will quickly assess where I should start. Uh, But this is the order. Coaching is really in coaching people to use skills you know how to, for instance, pray, you know how to fast, you know how to worship, do these things. It's coaching them to use the skills that you know they already have. If they don't have the skills, then teaching. Teaching is simply building on those skills or maybe uh, building the skills from scratch or sharing information. And so teaching is a powerful tool. So far, guidance, coaching, and teaching Um, are all things that we've considered lay ministries. There's no credentials required for any of this. Preaching is also a tool uh, that's at an anointed impartation. So it's from God through a man or a woman to his people. And preaching is powerful. Um, And and really, in some ways, it's so powerful that it really doesn't belong on this chart. It really could stand alone by itself. Uh, But for the sake of ease, I've put it there. Counseling. Counseling is a different story. It's a skillful use of a wide set of tools toward better. In my mind, better means closer to the cross. That's better. Okay? And, and so that's what counseling is. The, 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 the wise or skillful use of tools, the toolbox is huge uh, depending upon your experience and training. And then therapy. Therapy is movement toward healing and it's really a major reconstruction of reality. That's helping the person realize that the DJ who says, and this song's for you doesn't really mean you, (laughs) right? It's the royal you. It's the collective royal we. He is not talking about you. Now, if he says, and he calls you by your name, maybe he is talking about somebody with your name, but it's still not about you, right? And and that's an important thing. Um, Each, as we move down from guidance to therapy, the investment, I would say the skill set, and the level of discernment must increase through all these levels. Because of that, you might want to pre-decide where your boundaries are and say, oh, thank you, I'm happy to coach people, I'm happy to give guidance, coach people, teach people. If you're a preacher, I'll even preach to them, but that's where I draw the line. After that, I'll send them to someone else. Or maybe you have a line somewhere else on this chart, and that's fine too. So to highlight the meat of the paper I want to walk you through some case studies and I want you to write your answers down. So, this is really designed to be interactive, but I'm not going to ask you to talk to me or to each other because it's being recorded and that's just awkward to do that. Um, But I have to tell you that I also have another agenda because everyone counsels, everyone thinks they're a counselor Um, until they're not. (laughs) Um, And so I want to give you a couple scenarios. Again, all of these are real. Um, Most of them are many, many, many years old, and the people have given permission for me to talk about them and or the person has already passed away. Case study number one. Um, We're going to call her Joanna. She's an 18-year-old female who appeared to be in good physical health. She sat in a church service and participated normally. She participated in the altar service with many other people her age. Roughly 10 minutes into the altar experience, she started to exhibit odd behavior. Her symptoms. She was shaking, mumbling, talking incoherently, very weak, unable to stand. Although others didn't know at the time, she had blurred vision and she was feeling Uh, She had nausea. So here's my question, and please write down your answer. Is the problem spiritual, physical, emotional? For those of you in the room who are feeling bowed, diagnose her. For others, what might you do if you were there watching this happen? If you're flipping through the paper for answers, stop. Stop. They're not there. (laughs) Okay, everyone have that scenario in your head. Just imagine her, and she's at the altar. The music is cranking, and she is doing fine until she's not. She's shaking. She's mumbling. Um, The mumbling could be stammering lips. The mumbling could be um, anything. She's talking incoherently. Um, Who knows? Maybe she got it. So what is it? Spiritually, is it a spiritual issue, a physical, emotional? Why is this question important? Because the answer has to fit the question The solution has to fit the problem. If the issue is physical, then we need to respond physically. If it's spiritual, we need to respond spiritually. And if we do that well, then it's going to make sense to have biblical counseling or spirit-led counseling in the 21st century. So everyone has an answer. Next slide. Um, So her diagnosis was in the natural realm was hypoglycemia. She was having low blood sugar. In the spiritual, there was nothing wrong with her. Spiritually, she was okay. What happened? The action. Five people prayed for her, and the sicker she became, the harder they prayed. One lady rebuked the devil, and about that time, the young girl started to shake, and then she vomited. The lady who was praying the loudest screamed, Hallelujah, the devil is gone. The girl being prayed for just laid on the floor near her vomit as the people praise God for her deliverance. Finally, as I was watching this, I went to the church's refrigerator and got some orange juice. I gave her a half a cup and ten minutes later she was in her right mind and clothed. (laughs) Um, these are not fictional. These are real. Um, I was there. I watched it, and I intervened. And what would you have done? Don't answer that out loud, but think about it. Um, Spiritually, she was fine, and there was no need for a spiritual intervention. By the way, I knew that almost instantly because she was surrounded by some spiritual giants. So either she was possessed and wanted to be possessed... Or there was no spiritual problem because those spiritual giants were bleeding the blood. Um, physically, she had a physical manifestations that all hit at one time, and just a quick look, you could tell, uh, with a little bit of training, that she was probably suffering from low blood sugar, um, and turns out that's what it was. Next slide. Is there a need for counseling within the church? I would say there is a need for counseling and counselors within the church, but only um, in as much as the counseling is founded on the living word. Those who help others navigate the journey of life through counseling do so with equal parts, art, science, and discernment. The art. The art is the nuance. It's the nuance of helping other people. It's the soft skills. It's looking around the room and recognizing that you've belabored the point and people are ready for you to move on or close down the service and getting that right. Um, most of us who have worked with people presenting for a long time have a good feel for that, but occasionally we miss it. Um, right? It's the art, it's the nuance, it's finding the best way to present the offer of growing closer to God. It's the art. Um, the science the science is understanding the science of the brain and the body it's the brain body the the neurological development um, and not just of what you're seeing um, but in terms of historical it's the physical understanding the physical body and having some insight there you don't have to be a medical doctor but just a little bit of knowledge is helpful for instance Um, Let's use normal adolescent development. Normal, I should probably scratch the word normal because I'm not sure that it's normal. Um, And and this is why I say that. And in the year 1900, menarche happened at age 19. Menarche is the first appearance of the menstrual cycle. That meant in 1900, you could not be a mom until you were about 19 years old. That's not a bad age relative to where we are today. Today, that number is 9 or 10, and sometimes as young as 8. So in terms of the physical development of people over time, there's been a drastic change. And to have a grip on some of that knowledge is very important. The brain develops pathways over time. These pathways are like ruts in the brain. It's a very powerful thing. As a result, we behave in very cyclical patterns. So a person that you went to the Lord who would go on a binge, alcohol binge maybe every six months, gets the Holy Ghost. In six months, it's very likely that they're going to be tempted. Not that they will actually go to it, but they'll be tempted. To know a little bit about the neurology uh, might be important, and that's the science. But the art is not enough by itself itself. The science is not enough by itself. Spirit-led counseling relies primarily on discernment. So discernment is a spiritual understanding or insight specific to a person or a situation. It's more than the non-verbals, and it's more than body chemistry and brain chemistry. It's what is God saying about this person who he cares about way more than you do? What is it that God has to say about that? Sometimes discernment is how you know the difference between hypoglycemia and demon possession. Now, you have such a head start because in a secular environment, discernment is not a part. Spiritual discernment is not a part of the equation. So most everybody in this room, you're already that far ahead because you can start where God tells you to start if you're talking to him about his children. So the next slide I thought it was important to go a little bit deeper um, and talk a little bit more in the paper about discernment. Spiritual discernment does not rely, um, only rely on the outward expression, self-report, people lie, or keen observational skills. Spiritual discernment is a gift from God. It cannot be learned as a part of formal education. I should have said secular formal education um, it cannot be learned through good theology and places like Wilson and other um, you're getting modeled this practice of discernment and so you have a better chance of embracing it and developing it in your own life but as a thing it cannot be taught it's the light of God shining to illuminate the problem, the solution and the pathway to the cross That's it right there the problem, the solution, and the pathway to the cross. If you can identify the problem, the solution, and the pathway, you're going to be able to help a lot of people. The gift of discernment when well exercised should be given supremacy over all other sources of knowledge. Um, That's important. So what does that mean? Well, I'm really speaking of secular counseling. Secular counseling, at its core, is introspective and humanistic. You know, the pat question, how do you feel about that? Do you know the answer to that is it doesn't matter? What does God say about that? (laughs) Right? It doesn't matter. Uh, But you you understand the notion. That's where that question comes from. What do you think? What do you feel? Right? Um, So at its core, it's introspective and humanistic. By the way, there's nothing wrong with being introspective. We could use more of that. Biblical counseling, which I like to describe as spirit-led or spirit-directed counseling, at its core is God-focused and it's spiritual. So the focus is not man, the focus is God and maybe his relationship with man or man's relationship with God. And it's spiritual, which means it cannot be entered by those who do not understand the spirit. Case study number two. Again, these are real scenarios. We'll use the same model. Linda, 45-year-old female with a long history of child abuse. As a child, she was subjected to random beatings placed in pits with snakes, made to go without food. Sorry. This happened to a real person. I got to sit across from her. I'm reading it to you now like it's a case study because it is. But this was a real person. This is what her parents did to her. She was molested, raped, belittled. Before I let you dive into diagnosing her, I pray that you would first have compassion on her. and I can't read my notes. To cope, she would pretend that the abuse wasn't happening to her, but instead was happening to another person. She ultimately named these other people, developed their storylines in her life, and she was thankful for their company. When I met with her, she had 21 distinct personalities living inside of her. Each one had a unique story, a unique gender, unique skill sets, unique tendencies. One personality, or the technical term is alter, was a gifted musician. Another was a talented artist. Another was a small child, but a small but feisty child. And yet another was a seductive woman. The main altar was a strong and protective male figure who was her greatest protector. These altars would come and go, entering and exiting with waves of fainting. So as I'm sitting across from her, and I would say, tell me about your childhood, and she would do this. She would just kind of put her head down and collapse a little bit in the chair and come back up and go no I don't want to talk about that I'm only 10 why are you asking me that question I would say something like because it's my job to ask and I want to know what happened so tell me, answer the question I wasn't going to let her deflect and she would faint in a gruff male voice don't don't hurt her you can't hurt her I won't let you hurt her if This was your mom or your sister or your daughter you wouldn't be reaching for your sword so fast i know trust me i was in the office and i thought lady if you move one inch i will baptize you in olive oil (laughs) i get it i get it Here were her other symptoms. By the way, she would bring me her artwork um, and tell me stories about these altars. I asked her why she came to me. She said, Because the other counselors I went to told me I needed to learn to live with them and to nurture them. But when I told my pastor about that, he said I needed an apostolic counselor. And that's why I'm here talking to you. All right. Is it spiritual? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it mental? What would you do? Be honest. Write down your answer. If you dare and you're feeling brave, diagnose her. I did. I had to. On the next slide, I've given her a natural diagnosis and a spiritual diagnosis. Her natural diagnosis was, I'm sorry, this diagnosis is, is um, its incomplete. Her natural diagnosis was PTSD. Schizophrenia and generalized anxiety disorder, or GAD, G-A-D. PTSD, clearly, she was traumatized. Schizophrenia, which developed but initially wasn't there. And then generalized anxiety disorder because the poor lady didn't know who was going to come out at any time, and she was terrified all the time. The action. The pastor first noticed that Linda was claiming deliverance in some areas like smoking and drinking, but was often relapsing without any knowledge of how she was losing time or why or even when she was acting out. He decided to call her in for a counseling appointment, and when he pressed her about her uh, actions, Linda fainted which looked, again, more like powering down and powering back up again, and then spoke with the voice of a small child. Imagine being in that pastor's office at that time. At a later point, it happened again, only this time the voice was a strong male, very aggressive, but without violence. The pastor and his wife both commented how creepy it felt during those transitions. The pastor's wife told me, she said, Dr. Blash, the hair on the back of my neck stood up when she would come in and out and we thought this is over our head. So I don't write the end of the story but the end of the story um, if I can add it in briefly is that um, I don't believe that there ought to be 21 different people living in you um, there was a, by the way, here spiritual diagnosis was welcomed demonic possession, but it did not start that way. As a little girl, she was not possessed. Probably for many years, maybe, or at least months, she was not possessed. As a little girl, she did not have a spiritual problem, but as she began to entertain and welcome those altars quickly the spirits moved in and at that point there was possession but it was welcomed which means she can unwelcome them i did not need to lay hands on her or anoint her with oil i didn't let them in i'd have to cast them out she had to do it herself and so i said let's talk about them we found that there were 21 of them i said who's the weakest and the one that you don't even like?" At all, hardly. Who is who? Do you, who, do you, who do you want to get rid of first? She gave me the name. I said, "Well, let's let's get rid of this one first, and we're going to pray." And we prayed, and we had a funeral for that weak one. And this is what it sounded like. She said, "I'll use the name Mikey. Mikey. Thank you for being there when I was thrown in that pit." But, Mikey, I need the Holy Ghost, and you can't be inside of me. I don't need you anymore because I've got someone who will protect me. And that's, it was a real funeral. Each of these funerals lasted somewhere between 10 minutes and 30 minutes. I let her go through a real funeral. And then she kicked them out which is apostolic we would say she rebuked it in Jesus name and said go and it went <laughs> we did that for a period of 3 or 4 weeks they were all gone she sent me an email and she said hi dr blash this is linda dot 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 it's really linda <laughs> I was so happy. I was so happy. She was one person, one whole person, who God chose to fill with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Her pastor baptized her in the name of Jesus Christ, permission of sins. And somewhere four or five years later, she passed away um, and she was ready. It was too young, but she was ready. Next slide. Spiritualism and humanism. I want to be crystal clear. The theories and practices that make up the entirety of secular counseling is, they're humanistic in nature and are altogether without use for the born-again believer. There is no place for those theories on their own. They have no place within the apostolic psyche And when they are used, they are always subordinate to spirit-led biblical counseling. Why am I so bold about that statement? It's because secular theories are almost across the board, not just godless, but have a very strong bias against God. Theories that lead you deeper inside of yourself and that fail to recognize the supernatural is worse than useless. It's, um, it is harmful. In all scenarios, biblical counseling must lead to the foot of the cross, not back to you. I'm almost done. Next slide. Emotional health. Emotional health. Um, Sister Sourpuss. Some of you know her story. She's also passed away at this point. 67-year-old apostolic, Holy Ghost filled female with 50-year history of depression. Sister Sourpuss lost a husband, two children, two other close relatives within an eight-year time span. She was fussy, bad-tempered, horribly depressed. She attended church faithfully but did not participate in church services. Her symptoms no hope, low energy, excessive sleeping, spotty eating reclusive, dispassionate about all things positive or about all things um, spiritually apathetic and then at the bottom I give a definition for sourpuss, a bad tempered or habitually sullen person okay Um, is it spiritual? is it physical? is it emotional? what would you do? how would you approach it? You get the idea. The next slide, she has two diagnoses, a natural diagnosis of major depression. She has a spiritual diagnosis of welcome demonic oppression, which is different than the other one who was, she was uh, demonically, um, thank you. Um, She had demons living inside of her. She was possessed This lady was oppressed. She was bombarded from the outside with demonic oppression, probably much of it brought on by her negative coping to these awful life experiences and not connecting with the Spirit of God almost ever. The action was biblical counseling um, led by spiritual impartation. Very, very quickly, um, when the pastor called me about this lady And said she had 50 years of depression. I thought, oh, Lord, help me because the books won't help you with this. They won't help you. There's no art and there's no science that's going to help with that. You have to have discernment. And so I said, God, she's your child, not mine. And the Lord gave me an answer to help her. He gave me the answer in the dream um, to help her the answer didn't come immediately as a matter of fact I was to see her on a Saturday so I prayed on Friday God what do I tell this lady and I got nothing from God and so this is going to be bad and so finally um, the Lord spoke to me and he said tell her um, tell her to run 13 laps around her sanctuary and I will heal her okay so now what is the problem spiritual why do you know it's spiritual because God gave me a spiritual answer now I know running seems practical but trust me it wasn't the lapse and so I went to talk to this lady on Saturday and I was hesitant to tell her what God told me because it didn't sound logical it didn't even sound smart <laughs> uh, it's definitely something you wouldn't present at a symposium And hope for credibility with the audience. Um, There are a lot of smart people. There are a lot of gifted people. But the problems that we're facing that are spiritual require more than being smart and being gifted. So I sat with her for a few moments. She told me all the problems that she had experienced in her lifetime. And I could understand why why she was depressed in particular because she didn't talk to God about any of these. Um, She was just uh, vile um, and and hateful and uh, uncooperative. And I I didn't judge her because I didn't live that life. She did. She lost kids. Parents should never have to bury their children. Uh, So I didn't judge her. But the Lord was dealing with me, and he finally said, Tell her what I told you. And so I was reluctant, so I turned around in the chair where I was sitting, um, and, and I just talked to God in the air, out loud. I said, God, do you want me to tell her right now? And she gave me a quizzical look. <laughs> I gave her a quizzical look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. And uh, I said, I said, the Lord gave me a dream about you and he said if you'll do 13 laps around your sanctuary he'll heal you I said it just like that matter of factly she crossed her arms looked at me fire developed in her eyes and she screamed no (sighs) my compassion was gone my kindness was waning and I said, Listen here, I don't have depression. You do. This is not my problem, it's yours. I know the problem, I know the solution, and I know the pathway out. But it won't bother me even the smallest bit if you don't take it. Now, that wasn't the best thing to say, but I was angry. <laughs> She left the office and slammed her pastor's door and said to me, no, and boom, slammed the door, and I thought, how do I tell her pastor that my best advice for her was to go jogging? <laughs> on Monday morning, my phone rang, and it was her pastor, but I wasn't having it. I just wasn't having it. He maybe had he called me on Tuesday. It would have been better. He called me on Monday, Brother Blash. I was like, no, no, we are not having that conversation. <laughs> i didn't even give the guy a chance to talk he said no 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 wait let me tell you what happened he said we were singing amazing grace and sister so-and-so got up and she started to walk out of the building we thought and maybe she was going to the bathroom he said but she made a lap around the building he said i've not seen her move and pastoring her for 30 years i have not seen her move in 30 years and i thought well that's a problem She made a lap and another lap and another lap, and her testimony was this. On about the sixth lap, she said, I feel so foolish. That stupid counselor is having me do this. (laughs) I wasn't there, but God took care of it. She said, when I said that, she said, I felt a push in my back, and I kept going. I thought that was no push. That was a celestial boot from heaven. for calling me stupid. (laughs) And she kept going, and her pastor said she got around on the 12th lap when she crossed the threshold of the pulpit, she started to dance. And all the way around she danced, and on the 13th time, 50 years of depression was released, just like that. (laughs) 50 years. Now... Is there a need? Yes, but only only if we're aligning the impartation through the spirit into spiritual people. It's got to match. And if it matches, the problem and the solution, they must match. So when someone has a knee ache, tell them to go to the physical therapist. Don't waste your time counseling them or praying for them. I'm sorry, that was not in the notes. All right. Uh, Match. It's got to Match. The next slide answers another question. What might be an acceptable model of counseling? In the paper, I uh, posit, uh, basically, I quoted Dr. Wilson for 10 pages of the 10-page paper. Um, (laughs) um, I I quote it from uh, the satiric Counseling. I think it is an excellent model that um, just flows well with what I'm trying to explain. But as a pictorial and this is not a perfect um, example. God has commissioned men and women who, to understand the emotional and spiritual decline of our world to know that really many of these problems will only be corrected with supernatural interventions. So on the very outskirts of this economy is a spirit of God. Everything then on the inside is influenced by that. The Spirit of God influences the practitioner. The practitioner influences the person in need. And if that is the model, then my answer to the question and what I would posit before you is absolutely yes. There is space, and we do need counseling and counselors for the church in the 21st century. The next slide, and I think there's only a couple left. How am I doing timekeeper? The next slide takes a look at another case. Um, Jane. Jane is a 37-year-old apostolic female with a history of sexual abuse during her teen and adolescent years. Today, she is spiritually wounded and apathetic towards all things positive. She has nearly no discipline or prayer life. Her involvement in the church is duty-driven. These are her symptoms. Severe depression, weight gain, loss, uh, a low self-esteem, no confidence, meaning... Um, she's mean Uh, so meanness is what that's supposed to say she's irritable Um, thoughts of suicide she wrestles with the spirit of suicide and she's fearful again in your notes what is it? is it spiritual? is it physical? is it emotional? is it mental? what would you do if you were faced with her? okay if you dare try to diagnose her what do you think is going on there? Now, if you're having a hard time with these case scenarios, how are you getting away with it in your offices? Never mind. All right. Let's move on. Next slide. Her natural diagnosis, um, that is the DSM-5, the, the manual for um, diagnosing that's used in mental health, is PTSD, post-traumatic stress um, disorder. Uh, and major depression her spiritual diagnosis is demonic oppression so the pastor in this case was very practical and rep- and uh, recommended a major lifestyle shift that centered on daily discipline um, get up on time monitor your eating monitor your spending no wasting time on social media as well as a systematic Bible study to reinforce some basic, but absent in her life, principles of Christianity. The discipline of entering into and staying connected with the Spirit of God via worship, prayer, and the Word is vital to facilitating her deep healing for the abuse. Additionally, um, she shouldn't, she she should stay out of relationships where more abuse could happen. In other words, this person is able to take care of her own problem Her issue at this point is laziness and fear. But she has a pretty decent grip on the things of God. She simply hasn't prayed. She simply hasn't. So you can see in using discernment, although there is demonic oppression, spiritual oppression, I wouldn't spend a great deal of time counseling this person because... I'm never going to do for them what they can do for themselves. If you're working harder than the person you're trying to help, you're doing it wrong. If you're doing for them what God said he would do for them, you're doing it wrong. If you're doing for them what God told them to do for themselves, you're doing it wrong. And in this case, almost all of those things would be true. She knows how to get to the solution. She has understanding of the problem. She has an understanding of the solution and she has insight now of the pathway. She has to take care of this for herself. Okay, three different scenarios to really highlight how we grapple with the questions about spirit-led counseling. Next slide then goes to that final question and that is what what, if any, is the role of the counselor counseling as i've defined it that is the bridge between where you are and the foot of the cross is a spiritual endeavor it does however rely on human facilitation what does that look like i would put that into three categories or steps step number one assessing the distance between man and god That's important because ultimately your goal is to be a bridge between where they are and the foot of the cross. You need to assess how far that bridge needs to stretch. What that means in real uh, time and practically is how much time and energy and effort will you need to put in to be that bridge to get them to the foot of the cross. It's possible that it might take a group of people to do that. How do you do it practically? You listen and you provide orientation. When a person says, I am so angry at my in-law because of this, the orientation is between the person and their in-law. What this stage would do is to reorient them. So let's talk about anger and what God thinks about you being that angry. So the orientation becomes between them and God. That's step number one. Number two, to understand the underlying calls for that, um, for the distance between them and God again is it physical emotional spiritual what is it to discern and then empathize so important that we start with empathy um and then three to facilitate movement from man towards god that can be done through impartation and encouragement um it takes a lot of skill to do that but that's what we do we impart as god has directed us and then we encourage them um and finally, I have some closing considerations. I could have probably had six or seven slides about this, but I thought just keep it brief um, because remember the last point? <laughs> Don't belabor, right? All right, so here it is, the closing considerations. Um, if you want to, to help people better, um, how might you start? What are some thoughts? Number one, I would say forget everything you think you know about people Especially if you learned it in an institution of higher education. You can't say that. And again, put in secular there. I I can say that because we don't want to put the knowledge we've been taught ahead of the spirit of God. We want the knowledge to complement the spirit of God. Uh, We don't want to get it ahead. So let God tell you um, how to move forward. So pray for wisdom. Pray, pray, pray. Always pray for wisdom. And then model unconditional love. The second thing I would say that might be helpful as a consideration is never get stuck in the juicy stories. What did you do next and all that and what happened? Um, and instead, the experts tend to listen for patterns, focus almost exclusively on helping the person see and remove the barriers between them and Jesus. The third thing I would say is to watch your first thought and your own biases. Remember the story I gave you about Linda and how she would faint in and out, and some of you wanted to lay hands on her and start shaking her head, and you would be repulsed by somebody, demon-possessed like that. And watch that first thought. How how much does that first thought align with the Spirit of God in you? So watch your first thought. Um, There is no place for your agenda in his work. So it didn't matter what I thought about Linda. What mattered is what did God think about her. I think his heart was a little broken about what she went through. But Jesus can heal your heart, and he did heal hers. Finally, remember, and this is probably the biggest thing on the page, although it's the shortest sentence, you're not better. Remember that. I'm no better than Linda. I just had parents that didn't throw me into pits with snakes who didn't beat me. But if you start with I'm no better, then it's so much easier to have compassion and not become judgmental. Hope that helps.
0: moments for some questions here about uh, 20 minutes of questions and I see some hands already going up in the back on the back row back there remember state your name organization potentially that you represent and uh, let's be mindful of others wanting to ask questions as well so let's try to be as brief as we possibly can in our question Uh,
2: my name is Ricky Miller Um, And I'm a licensed marriage family therapist associate. Um, But I have a question regarding children. And so the stories and case studies that you shared are actually um, really prevalent in today's society. And the more the, the society we live in is biblically illiterate, is the more trauma and abuse that is happening to children in our culture today. And so my question is based on, maybe your recommendation for families that are coming into the church with children who have similar stories or families that are fostering or have adopted children with similar stories of extensive trauma and the belief that being in the church will heal it all versus continual struggles.
1: So it sounded like there was a two-part question. One is maybe how do we think about those families coming in um, and integrating into our church and they're coming with so much life experience that was negative uh, maybe trauma and then the second part is to address the question of being in the church kind of fixes it all Um, so in the first part I would applaud churches that reach for um, everybody and doing so you're going to get a wide variety of people and some will fit what I've just described and, and some won't Um, You know, remember how much time it took you to develop. Uh, I think there's a need for a tremendous amount of patience. Um, I think we have to acknowledge those experiences that happen and follow that model. What's the problem? What's the solution? And what's the pathway? And you may need to do that for each child. And again, that's not a cognitive, that's not a clinical thing. It's a spiritual thing. I mean, it's the art, the science, and the discernment. So I think we, we, we do that. If there is a church that has a large population of foster children, um, not to be stereotypical, but we know that you got into that system somehow. So you can assume a basic kind of, um, you know, understanding of who, who that might be and things they've gone through. I've seen churches where they had four or five or six or seven foster parents. And as a result, 10 or 12 or 15 foster kids. I think in that scenario, it would be worth developing a special track that really provided more love, Um, not more education. They're not slower. They're more wounded, more love and more attention. So I would, in that kind of church, I would advocate pulling a special group of teachers, maybe those that are prone to have lots of patience, um, and really reward those teachers and integrate those children into the body of Christ. The the second part, the Holy Ghost, is God can heal anything at any time, including your sore knee. Um, He can. So the Holy Ghost really is all-powerful. However, God chooses sometimes to heal instantly, but my experience is often it's a process. Mm-hmm. There's so much beauty in the process yeah. um, of healing. Um, the, so the Holy Ghost does not take care of all of our problems as is evidenced by the number of people in this room who have to take a pill or a shot for some illness. Um, you know, God gives us the grace to walk through it. So, um, and it can happen. In our church, we pray for instant miracles. We want them instantly, but we also understand it may not happen that way. So I think that's a part of teaching. Um, So an excellent question. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. There's another question there, and then Brother Hatton.
3: Yolanda Hahn from Cornerstone. What is your opinion on psychotropic drugs um, for mental disorders and anxieties?
1: Yeah. So we just met. And I hope my comment doesn't sting because it's not directed at you. <laughs> I'm giving you a minute to get a here up there, right? It, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. Um, I, I recognize that what you're saying is you've clearly studied this, so based on your studies, what do you think? I'm going to tell you that. But in terms of my opinion, it doesn't matter what I think or what my opinion is. What matters is what does God think? What's God's opinion? Um, And I say that because, again, we want to put the spirit first and the knowledge trails behind it or is encased in it. Um, So um, God designed the brain in a way that it would produce every single chemical and chemical reaction we need to live and survive. There are many scenarios in which there are malfunctions to that system for whatever reason. Um, I've met people that just couldn't shake depression, and it threw me for a loop because 98% of the people I work with that have depression beat it without medication. And so this person couldn't, and after a lot of testing, uh, somehow or another it turned out that their body just not just did not produce almost any serotonin. It just didn't produce it. That person has to either deal with Always living in that dysthymic place where the dysthymia is a form of depression, mild depression. It's akin to cyclothymia. So living in that um, dysthymic place and just dealing with it, or they have to take a pill to augment what the brain isn't doing. This is not unlike other um, let's other diseases. Let's take um, Graves' disease or some sort of thyroid problem, or maybe your thyroid is removed. You will have to take a Synthroid for the rest of your life to replace that hormone. So in the case where something is not there, there aren't many options um, for that in terms of medication as a general rule. uh, My field of study, or one of them, is to think about the human brain And what does medication do to the human brain to make it feel better? And what can we do naturally to mimic that drug? And if we can do it naturally, then we do it naturally. My preference is that we not take drugs. Having said that, we are a very lazy society. Um, If you have depression and you take an SSRI for that depression, that um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor... Dosage must be increased if you insist on eating sweets. So people don't want to give up their sweets. Or they don't want to work out. So you take the pill. So, you know, there is that part too. But, or that other part to it. My preference uh, is under the best scenarios that you avoid the medications. And I could spend a lot of time on phyco, uh, psychopharmacology and the industry to tell you why. Why? that is, but I won't.
3: Absolutely. Brother Hatton. Brother Blash, thank you so much for that. You, in the first case study you brought up, it really kind of triggered some memories with me. Uh, Since moving to Portland, uh, Portland's a unique deal, and working with a lot of uh, uh, individuals in the drug culture, Mm -hmm. I began to run across with the psychological industry the the dual and triple diagnosis dynamic that's starting to happen and and the problems with that. Of course, adding the spiritual to the biopsychosocial, which you're talking about. Do you find, and I'd really like to know this because we're dealing with a lot of guys that are claiming schizophrenia or disassociative identity disorders. How much of those, on average, because some of the people I meet with, I feel innately when I'm talking to them that some of them are just grandstanding. But how many of those that are doing multiple personalities, because we have a lot of sozo dynamics going on in Portland, a lot of uh, deliverance ministries, weird stuff. How many of those that you meet with on average are bona fide possessed with a demon that would have a clinical diagnosis of schizophrenia
1: or as the old
3: multiple personality disorder fragments all that?
1: So I may need you to repeat the second part of that question, the meat of it in a moment, but I wanted to find a couple of things that he said. He um, used the terminology um, dissociative identity disorder or dead. Uh, back in the day, that was called multiple personality disorder. That gives you an idea of what he's talking about. He also talked about schizophrenia. Um, schizophrenia, many times people think that's people who are hearing voices. Um, that's not true. Hearing voices is halluc- hallucination. Um, schizophrenia is more the divided psyche um, you know, that, that happens as a result, typically, of some trauma. So the question is, in my experience, how much of that is demonic uh, um, sort of... Let's say they are possession. Let's use possession because that's, that's easier... Long-term, I guess. Long-term, yeah, yeah, yeah. The
3: younger ones I meet,
1: it's not the same as the ones that are older, that have manifested longer. Yeah, I get it. Um, So I would say in my experience, which could be limited, um, 5%. A teeny number. Uh, But remember, I'm working with a very churched population. So if you ask me about the apostolic movement, I would say a teeny number of people uh, I've met are possessed just because we don't tolerate it. <laughs> I mean, you go to choir practice at the Rock Church, you can get delivered. I mean, you, you, we don't tolerate it. Uh, it. The spirit is too, that is our wheelhouse. Yeah. You, 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 may be, you may be a lot of things, but you're not going to be possessed very long in our churches. Now, if you're talking outside of that, I would say a high number. I would put it somewhere, yeah, this is anecdotal, uh, 80, higher, uh, a very, very high number. And it's because the loose association, they've opened themselves up and the floodgates are open. Um, so, yes.
0: But the Young. Uh,
4: mine is coming from a pastor mm. uh, and not so much, and maybe this is the wrong venue to ask this question, but... Uh, First question is what's your number when I meet these people? <laughs> um, but this is as far as a pastor what protections for us that are not certified. I don't claim to be a counselor. I'm a preacher. I can give advice. But there is a new rage and I'm sure there's a lot of truth to it. I'm not belittling the People that have been perpetrated against. But there is also a healthy fear among preachers and leaders, the Me Too movement. And how do we protect ourselves? We know what the Supreme Court justice just went through. Um, But, you know, we all have our opinion. But it's a scary thing for someone in our position to be accused of something. How do we prove our innocence? So what protections do you recommend as both a counselor and a pastor for us?
1: Um, So a couple answers. One is easier than the other one. Um, Churches have uh, insurance. Those who do counseling have insurance. Um, Churches have liability insurance. Counselors and mental health people have malpractice insurance, and that's why you have it. Um, The answer is um, if there's an allegation, it is an uphill battle for you. Um, so the literature says this, that if you have a very consistent pattern of how you interact with people that's documented, that's your best protection um, is, is a paper trail. Good records um, of interactions. I would suggest that as a pastor you use something like the list I had where it started with guidance and went to coaching teaching and you have scriptures that align with helping guide people and teach people and stay with that stay within that wheelhouse. Um, and then your church's insurance policy should do its job and protect you. Um, I think it's very possible that as a tactic, Many of our churches um, could be attacked this way. About 15 years ago, there was this other movement where, you know, the insurance companies were saying, pastors, stop hugging kids. Teachers, stop hugging kids. It was the same thing. The the fear was that somebody might uh, make an accusation. It's a real thing. It's a scary thing and probably worth a session by itself.
0: right up front here. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Blash. My question is, as a pastor, is there an apostolic agency that is set up to meet with anybody via Skype, with the internet, being what it is? As a nurse, I know that there's a lot of nurse call lines, there's a lot of these kind of things set up. Is there, Brother Young, Uh, laughingly asked, but but seriously is there somebody that i can sit a couple down with and get them apostolic counseling
1: um there is a there's a lack in our um in our ranks um maybe as a local church the best thing you can do is vet counselors near you there is nothing wrong with calling a counselor and saying hey I'm a pastor. I I may want to send people to you before that happens. Can we sit down for a session? I want to interview you. Have a very respectful list of questions that you ask that person and vet them. Um, and you know, you don't want them to undermine your faith, you don't want them to undermine the pastor, you don't want them to undermine the doctrine. So ask hard questions. Ask hard questions. We are one God apostolic holiness people which is like and give them an example is like orthodox maybe judaism give them an example to compare with and see if they've worked with someone like that before and how they've handled it and you know and vet them um there are a few agencies like mine i do not want to plug because um we're too busy but there are very, very few, and again, it would be worth exploring how to better build. If you go to the soteric I mentioned in my paper, um, website um, for satiric counseling, there's a list of counselors, and that's a starting place, but it's a small list. Um, if I'm on there, don't call me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's a small list, so... There needs to be an effort to build that. Many years ago, uh, we started something in St. Louis where we began to ask the churches, send us all of your freshman psychology majors. I want to start helping them navigate college in this social science field now. Um, but we have other options now. We have places like Wilson University. We have other options where we could potentially build a cadre of people that would be uniquely skilled to serve the apostolic movement uh, because we are unique. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. Brother Elder.
2: Paul Elder, Pueblo, Colorado. Dr. Blash, thank you for a tremendous presentation today. You really piqued my interest when you talked to this sister back here uh, talking about the process. Um, It's my understanding I'm very limited when Jesus speaks of healing in the New Testament, there's actually two words. There's a Greek word, Iomiae, if I pronounced it right, which is an instantaneous healing. And the, the other word is therapeo. Yeah. And Jesus actually used therapeo more than he used the yeah. other word. And you just piqued my interest because so many times in the apostolic world we're afraid to deal with, the process of therapy. Could you elaborate on that? I think that is an area that that we really need to address when we're dealing with people in this context.
1: Um, People are messy, and we are people. Um, You know, I think a a part of our challenge, and it's my challenge. I won't project it on everyone. I am so convinced that when I lay hands on you, you're going to get healed. I mean, if you're hearing voices, I'm convinced. As a matter of fact, if you don't get healed, I'm shocked. Mm -hmm. But because of that bias and because of that leaning, my patience for... You've been in church three months now. You shouldn't be hearing anything but the voice of God. Uh, So I think we have to just have more patience. And and let me just kind of get to the point. If it were my kid i'd have a lot of patience for it the problem is we think of it as other and somehow there, something's wrong with them they're messed up but the grace we give our own kids or better our grandkids if we could extend some of that mercy and let them develop then I think that's awesome. And then I, secondly, I would say, we need to find some of these preachers or maybe people who don't have a calling to be preachers, but they've come through some stuff and we need to let them testify mm-hmm. and say, so, you know what? I was, just, I was just out of my mind the first three months I came to church and I was just wondering why God didn't heal me. And it took three months or three years or whatever. And I sat in hit, I sat through services watching other people be healed and I was so angry. But one day... And let them feel the the struggle and the pain at the same time believing that God could heal them just like that. Mm -hmm. So I I think, you know, I just know that the closer it is to home, the more compassion we have. Mm -hmm. Um, So think of it as as your brother, your sister, your sibling, somebody you like, (laughs) someone you love.
0: All right, we have time for two more questions. One comes from Holy Ghost Radio right now. So this question is from Holy Ghost Radio. It says, what is your view on treating homosexuality from a clinical or psychological perspective? Is it typically a spiritual, emotional, or mental problem?
1: Um, I don't treat homosexuality as a standalone problem because my bias is that it's not. I would help a person who is having sexual immorality, period. Um, Be that lust and pornography, which is way more prevalent in the apostolic movement than homosexuality and a whole lot more tolerated, um, or an affair or any other issue like that. And so I'm not going to put that group of people in a special sinners box um, or any other box. It's about sexual purity, so I do teach a four-hour seminar on same-sex attraction, but the, the punchline is sexual purity, not one of the 10,000 sexual deviances that we're still coming up with names for. Um, so I just don't mess with it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, the question really is, are, are you sexually pure? I'm talking to those of you in this room. Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no... How is that any different? And, and I get it. I get the whole abomination thing. But you're, it's a sin. It's a sin. At that level, I'm going to deal with sexual purity with the hope that whatever the issue is, along the way, it will be resolved. But it's through the lens of sexual purity. Mm-hmm. And don't let others bait you into making it a one-issue deal because mm-hmm. Lord knows we got plenty Excellent. to deal with in our own ranks. Um, and, and, and if just to, to, to bring it home a little bit further, um, the homosexual population is not our biggest problem. Um, people that have concerns with their own identity outside the church don't worry, worry me near as much as people who struggle with their own identity inside the church. It's when the children of God don't even know they're children of God. That's a much bigger identity crisis in my mind. Now, that's my personal bias. Other experts would have different opinions about that. Mm
0: -hmm. We have one last question. It's right here. Time has uh, expired on us today.
1: Be nice.
5: Um, Evan Morrison from Memphis. Uh, In one of your last slides, you spoke to the human facilitation of counseling as a spiritual endeavor, and you gave some steps um, saying listen and orient and discern and empathize and pardon and encourage Uh, It's a two-part question in that as you go through that, if you are missing one of those things, and specifically I want to hone in on orienting them to God, do you move forward and allow it to come through the process or do you stop there? And then the second thing, again, honing in on orienting, is there is an element in my understanding of responsibility where the individual must understand accept their level of responsibility and accepting an orientation towards God um, and in that responsibility process is there a cutting point where you say this can't move forward
1: yes so let me repeat the question just to make sure I have it Um, the question number one in essence is if a step is missed can you move on and then question number two in essence is where's the line what's their responsibility the nice thing is, when you orient them towards God, you bring the conversation back to the realm of theology, not sociology or psychology or any other ology. Theology is our wheelhouse because that is forever settled in heaven. Mm-hmm. So to bring it back towards theology is important. If you miss that step, um, then no, it's you're not going to move forward successfully. If you miss that step of orientation and sometimes people miss the step because they really have been wronged and they're angry at someone else and they feel like when you say let's talk about how does God think about your anger that you're letting the other person off the hook. But with theology we can address that issue as well. So um, you take your time until orientation has been achieved um, and it could be that they say okay that person harmed me and I've got a problem with God. Um, and, and then the second place is responsibility. David's prayer about creating in me, God, this new heart, this, this renewing, this, this this right spirit. It's a beautiful Psalm fifty one. It's a beautiful uh, place to take people to illustrate that personal responsibility. And so, but in a nutshell, I will almost always remember what's the problem, what's the solution, and what's the pathway. I will almost always help them. On step one of the pathway, if they don't take step one, I won't take them to step two. When they come back and see me the second time, I will tell them to do step one again. The third time, I will tell them to do step one again. The fourth time, I will say, you're not ready for this. Come back in six months. Now, that's from the professional counseling mode, not from the pastoral mode. A pastoral mode may be a whole lot more generous than that but from the professional counseling mode there's a fiduciary agreement that I can't charge them and I'm totally going to charge you I can't charge them and not make progress so I cut it off but with grace it's not that you're a bad person you, you, this we're just we got ahead of ourselves you know take a break and in 3 months come back and it'll go so fast because you're ready so absolutely, there's a part, and I tease about the money, but it's been my experience that if there's no cost associated to it, there's no value associated to it. Thank
0: you. Thank you very much. Let's give our presenter a hand tonight. Thank you, Dr. Black. we can stand. That terminates our afternoon session here, but we are going to reconvene at 730, and we're going to be hearing from Dr. Wilson on the subject of biblical holiness. Have a good couple of hours of rest, and let's make sure that we're here promptly at 730 to begin.